This Washington Post Live podcast is presented by AT&T Business, keeping your business connected today and building it for tomorrow with 5G on America's best network. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Senator Bernie Sanders joins the Washington Post to discuss the issues he believes will drive the 2020 campaign, his support for the Biden-Harris ticket, and whether he thinks progressives will vote for the Democratic nominee. Let's listen. Good afternoon. I'm Bob Costa, a national political reporter at The Washington Post. We're continuing our coverage of the Democratic National Convention. Uh, This afternoon, my guest is independent senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders, the former Democratic presidential candidate, the longest serving independent in congressional history. Senator Sanders, you spoke Monday night. Thanks for being here this afternoon. My pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me. Senator Sanders, Your speech and President Obama's last night called President Trump a threat to American democracy. That was a theme running through both of those remarks. Is that breaking through at this convention, that idea? Well, I surely hope it is, and not just to the convention, but to the American people. Uh, Bob, you have a president who just within the last week alone uh, sent out a tweet which said in so many words that If I, Donald Trump, lose the election, it's because the election is rigged. Now stop and think for a moment what that means. He is behind in every national poll, and that that doesn't mean that he can't win. But it means that he is behind, and what he is saying is if I lose, it's not because I I really lost the election and I'm going to leave office, it's because it's rigged, and if it's rigged, I'm not going to leave office. That's the implication of what he said. And that is just an extraordinary statement from an American president, which is completely undermining the very fabric of American democracy. And and this is a guy who has, you know, within Mm -hmm. the last month, talked about delaying the election. Uh, He has literally talked about uh, not leaving office uh, if he loses the election. So anybody who does not think that this election, as President Obama said last night, is about maintaining the very fabric of American democracy, does not understand Donald Trump. Senator Sanders, you're in Congress, you're in the upper chamber. What will you do if President Trump tries to delay to delay the election or refuses to concede, should well, it be clear that he's been defeated? I can assure you that there are people who are thinking very, very hard about that almost unthinkable crisis. I mean, Bob, here we are uh, talking about something that I think very few people uh, before Trump would ever imagine that we would be talking about. Who would have thought that, you know, Bush had lost the election? He would say, well, I'm not going to lose or leave office or, or Obama or any other president would be saying that. So I can assure you that there is right now very serious discussions uh, about uh, what uh, will happen uh, if we have a president who loses the election uh, and refuses to leave office. But this is what I will say to the American people. Look, this is clearly the most important election, not only in our lifetimes, uh, but in the modern history of America. Uh, And it is absolutely imperative. And you heard Uh, all kinds of speakers in the last couple of days making this point. We may disagree about policy issues, all right? 
I have my agenda, uh, a progressive agenda. It is different than Joe Biden's agenda, different than Hillary Clinton's agenda, uh, different than John Kasich's agenda, different than Colin Powell's agenda. Mm -hmm. But I think what you are seeing throughout this country is people that are people are saying, you know what? We will fight about our agendas. We'll fight about our ideas. We'll fight about health care and education and climate change after Biden is elected. But right now, we have to get this president, Donald Trump, who is a menace to democracy, whose irresponsible attitude towards science, his rejection of science has cost us tens of thousands of lives in this pandemic. His rejection Senator. of climate science threatens the future of America. God knows what's happening in California as we speak and the entire world, who is a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, a xenophobe, a religious bigot who is a pathological liar. So what you're seeing right now, Bob, which is really different than any other cam campaign I have ever observed, it's not a debate just about healthcare education. It is about the very fabric of American society and whether or not we maintain the democracy that so many brave Americans fought and died to preserve. Senator, I just wanna come back to something you said. You said there are serious talks. How serious are those talks? And what exactly are your options as a U.S. senator? No, let me leave it at, at that, Bob. I mean, we can go Why on. Why so coy, uh, Senator Sanders? Not being coy, Bob. You know, we are talking about. Well, I mean, about I'm, curious, very, I'm curious about what, what I, do those I, talks look I, like. We are talking stuff. about very, very serious issues. What we are talking about is what happens, God forbid, and I'm not saying it will happen. But I and a lot of people are fearful about the possibility of it happening. What happens if somebody loses an election and refuses to leave the Oval Office? What do we do? Well, there are people, all I will tell you right now is there are very serious people thinking about that possibility. It is astonishing to me that anybody in this country has to think about it. We're not a third world country. You know, we're not a banana republic. We assume that we have free elections and the results of those elections are binding. The winner takes office, the loser loses office. Uh, that we are even thinking about that is rather appalling, and that tells you about the state of this country uh, under Donald Trump. What do you think a Trump second term would look like, Senator Sanders? I think if he won the re-election, uh, he would simply be more cocky, uh, and that uh, all of the anti-democratic policies and actions that he pursued will only be magnified because he will say, well, the American people support what I'm doing. Uh, and I think you will see more, even more xenophobia, uh, more attempts to divide us up based on the color of our skin or where we were born or our religion or our sexual uh, orientation. Uh, I think you will see more reactionary policies uh, with regard to the economy. This is a president who you will recall during the 2016 campaign, he said to the American people, I'm gonna provide healthcare to everybody. You know, I believe in the working class of America, we all need healthcare. And then he proceeded to try to throw, and is proceeding today in the courts, trying to throw 32 million people off of the healthcare that they have. And in addition to that, do away with the protections uh, that we managed to fight for, for pre-existing uh, conditions. This is a president 
who campaigned and said, you know, I'm a different type of Republican. I'm not going to cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Obviously, his budgets called for massive cuts to Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, education. This is a president who refused to support extending what we accomplished in the CARES Act so that millions and millions of people today who desperately need that $600 check that they were getting, well, under him at best, and I don't even think he can pull this off, uh, and certainly not every state will be involved in the program, will get $300 and not get that $1,200 extension uh, for every American. So, you know, this is a president who lied, who turned his back on the working class. Under a new administration, I believe it would all be worse. Senator, what would you like to hear tonight from Vice President Biden? Would you like to hear him explicitly underscore his support for a public option? Anything else like that? Well, I think, you know, the, that uh, Joe is going to have to make the case, and he's certainly prepared to do it. Uh, as to the absolute necessity of moving this country in a very, very different direction uh, than Trump has led us. Uh, but I think the speech cannot simply be, hey, we got to get rid of Trump. I think what the speech has got to deal with, and I think Biden understands this, is there is so much pain in America today. Uh, as a result of the pandemic, as you know, tens of millions of people have lost their jobs. And Bob, you got people out there in my state of Vermont and all over this country who are wondering how they're going to be putting food on the table for their kids. These are millions of people who are worried about being evicted from their apartments or losing their homes because they no longer have any income. These are people who don't have any health insurance. They may have symptoms of uh, the coronavirus. They can't even go to the doctor because they can't afford to do that. So we have right now uh, an unprecedented series of crises facing this country. I mean, the crises are the pandemic and the Trump administration's failure uh, to deal with it effectively because they reject science. It is the economic collapse, the worst since the Great Depression. Uh, it is climate change, and we're seeing what climate change is about right now in California and elsewhere. Uh, so we have an enormous amount of work uh, in front of us. And what I think Biden has got to do is to tell the American people, not just that we got going to get rid of Trump, that he understands the health care crisis, that he understands the crisis of climate change, that he understands that people cannot live on eight and nine bucks an hour, and they're going to have to raise that minimum wage to at least 15 bucks an hour, that workers have the right to join unions, that women deserve equal pay or equal work, that kids should not have to go 50 or $100,000 in debt simply for trying to get a college uh, education that we have got to. Now, Joe and I clearly disagree on health care. I absolutely mm -hmm. and firmly believe in Medicare for all. He does not. But his plan, his credit, greatly expands health care coverage. His plan is prepared to take on the greed and irresponsibility of the pharmaceutical industry, which charges us by far the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. So. Bottom line, I hope that Joe will talk about those issues relevant to working people who are struggling today, as well as tell us why we need to get rid of Trump. Senator, you just outlined all of these crises that affect the country. You also probably heard earlier your former colleague, Ted Kaufman, U.S. Senator. He told the Wall Street Journal that it could be difficult to have a large increase in federal spending in 2021. He blamed the deficits. He blamed the Republican tax cuts. 
So when you're talking about this massive federal response that's needed to address these crises, you then have Senator Kaufman saying maybe it's not entirely possible. What's your reaction to the senator's comment? I very, very strongly disagree with Senator Kaufman. Uh, this is a moment, an unprecedented moment in the modern history of this country where the United States government, and certainly I hope that it will be a democratically controlled Senate, democratically controlled House, and I hope Joe Biden and Kamala uh, Harris will be president and vice president. But if we can do that, what we have got to do is respond to these crises, respond to the pain of the American people. Uh, as you know, Bob, uh, my campaign worked with Biden's campaign on six different task forces uh, dealing with the major problems facing America from the economy to healthcare, uh, to climate change, uh, to education, immigration reform, criminal justice reform. Uh, and while, you know, we didn't get everything we wanted out of those proposals, nor did the Biden camp, the proposals were fairly progressive. In fact, if those proposals were to be implemented, as I uh, have said repeatedly, it would make Biden the most progressive president of the United States since FDR. Now, those are the proposals we worked on. And I expect that he, he is elected president. Those are the proposals, at the very least, that will be implemented. Right now, we have got to regain the faith of the American people, many of whom have given up on government. They don't have any health care. They're underinsured. They're paying outrageous prices for prescription drugs. They're working for starvation wages. They're worried about climate change. Criminal justice system is a total disaster. It is racist. It is broken. We need immigration reform. We need to have the best educational system in the world. That is what we need to do. And we cannot, by the way, in my view, continue moving toward an oligarchic form of society where three people now own more wealth than the bottom half of America, and where since this pandemic has begun, billionaires are doing, many billionaires are doing fantastically well while so many workers are suffering. So when Biden becomes president, and I'm gonna do everything I can to make that happen, trust me, on day one, I and other members of the Congress are gonna do everything we can to make sure that we have policies that reflect the needs and the pain of working families in this country. But I wonder, Senator, how you're going to do that. You think about the Republicans. They have this Freedom Caucus, the conservative group, an organized group inside of the House to pressure the leadership. Are you thinking at all about forming a new caucus of sorts for 2021, something that's a little bit more organized than just a collection of allies? Well, in the House, as you know, we are gaining strength. I mean, one of the things that I feel very optimistic about and very good about uh, is, Bob, as you know, uh, the three members of the so-called squad, uh, Alexandra and Ilhan and Rashida, uh, who were put under tremendous pressure in their re-election efforts. A lot of money was spent against them. All three of them won re-election by landslides. Uh, and we picked up already three strong progressives, two in New York, one in Missouri, Cory Bush in Missouri, and there are a couple of other seats out there that I think we can win. And I think now more and more members of Congress are understanding that the current structure of American society, where so few have so much and so many have so little, that where before this pandemic, before the pandemic, half of our people were living paycheck to paycheck, and over 70 million people were either uninsured or underinsured, people understand that that type of structure 
for our political and economic system has got to change. So if you ask me, what do I do? I will tell you what I do. We will work with the American people to bring forth an agenda that works for them and not just wealthy campaign contributors and the 1%. And I will tell you right now that the American people are mobilized. They're, ha they're very unhappy with what's going on in this country right now, not only in terms of Trump, but in terms of what's going on in the economy. Who would have believed that in this country, the wealthiest on earth, you got millions of families struggling to put food on the table? So to answer your question, I gave a long-winded answer, I know. A bottom line, I appreciate, I know Ted Kaufman, uh, I serve with him in the Senate. He is dead wrong. Uh, we are going to go forward, and we are going to create policies which represent the needs of working families. Uh, and if that means substantially raising taxes on the wealthy and large corporations, cutting military spending, and doing other things that we need to find the revenue, that is exactly what we will do. Speaking of uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, should she have been given a longer speaking slot at the convention? Well, I think there is some confusion about that. And, and I think the reason for the confusion has to do with the DNC and it has to do with the media. Uh, so let me tell you what happened because it's not complicated. Bob, as you are well aware, uh, at conventions, people who ran for president, who received a certain minimal number of votes, are entitled to have their name brought forth and have their delegates vote for them. You know, I won a number of states uh, in this in this uh, Democratic primary. And the people who supported me have a right to say, well, you know, I voted for Bernie Sanders. Uh, and that's all that we, this is kind of perfunctory. This is what is done in every convention. It's done in normal Republican conventions, Democratic conventions. I asked Alexandria, uh, we were told by the Biden campaign, which was fine, uh, that you'll, you can, uh, you'll have two one minute slots, uh, one to nominate you and one to uh, second you. And we had Bob King, who's the former president uh, of the United Automobile Workers, one of the you know, great unions in this country from Michigan. Uh, Bob nominated me and Alexandria seconded me. And I think what the DNC was saying is, oh, you know, she's speaking. No, I mean, they didn't invite her. I think they should have. That's a whole other story. They should have invited well, her that? more. What's the, what's, the, what's the story there? Well, I mean, the story is they should have had more progressive speaking giving them speaking spots. spots. But uh, this was just a perfunctory uh, nomination and, and seconding of me, of which there was one minute. That's it. And she was accused of not you know, saying she supported Biden. She was nominating me. She is, of course, supporting Biden. So I think the confusion there rests with, I think, what the DNC was saying, and certainly media not understanding uh, what happens at a convention. I totally get that, Senator, but it's also a choice to give her that one-minute nominating speech versus no, seven, six one minutes one. or seven oh. minutes. Yeah, that's right. I gave her the one minute. Now, in, that was my choice. And if I wanted right. you to nominate me, I could have asked you. I could have asked anybody. I asked Bob King and Alexandria. But uh, if your question is, should progressives, Alexandria and others, uh, receive more time? Yes, I do think so. Absolutely. Well, one person who got a little bit of more time was Secretary Clinton, your old rival. I heard the word billionaire. She slammed them in her speech. I just wonder what you make of her remarks and uh, after all these years. Well, look, uh, you know, uh, Secretary Clinton and I have our differences. I thought she gave a, an important speech. 
And the importance of her speech was to say that she won. I don't know that she said this exactly, but last election, 2016, she won the popular vote by 3 million votes. And yet she lost the election because she lost a number of states by a handful of votes. And uh, clearly in a number of states, voter turnout was down. And her message, which is absolutely right, is we cannot sit out this election. Uh, we have got to all vote. We may have our disagreements, but everybody has got to get out and vote against somebody who I think is the most dangerous president in the modern history of our country. I think that was Secretary Clinton's point, and I think she's right. Senator Sanders, when you're sitting up there in Vermont watching this and participating, and you see former Governor Kasich, you see a hawk and a uh, former Bush administration official and General Colin Powell, do you believe that Republicans or more moderate voices who are maybe not full-fledged Republicans anymore, are they getting too much time? And what kind of message does that send to your own part, to, to Democrats nationally? nationally? Well, Bob, as I've, as I've just said, you know, I think um, you know, we have an ascendant progressive movement. Uh, we are, you know, I, I obviously uh, lost the Democratic primary, but even in states where we lost, we won uh, often a pretty good majority of younger people. And I'm not just talking about 30 years of age and younger, but, you know, 40, 50 years of age and younger. So I think the future of our country is with the progressive movement. And I would have liked to have seen uh, more progressives have a chance uh, to get up there uh, and to talk about their vision uh, for the future uh, of America. Uh, on the other hand, what I would say is that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, what we're looking at now in this unprecedented political moment in American history is a very broad, what I would call united front, for want of a better term. And that is John Kasich and I disagree on virtually everything. I like John, John's a nice guy, uh, but we disagree politically on virtually everything, except for one thing, and that John understands that Trump is a danger to American democracy, and he is a pathological liar. And John and I agree on that. So John and I and millions of other people with very different political perspectives come together to say, look, we have to defeat Trump. And the day after Trump is defeated, you know what? John and I will have our debates about the future of America. But we do it within the context of American democracy. He supports democracy. I do. We have different points of view. We fight it out. And that's kind of what's going on now. So on one hand, you have a united front of people with very, very different points of view, including a number who have gone up and spoken at the Democratic Convention. But we are united on the need to defend, defeat Donald Trump and to elect Joe Biden. And the day after Biden is elected, you're going to see some you know, real vigorous debate about the future of America. Senator. We haven't discussed this next question yet, but I'm curious. You know that book, Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. If Vice President Biden wins the White House and he comes to you in a serious way and says, Senator Sanders, I know you love the Senate, you love serving in Congress, but I need you to join my cabinet. Would you take that kind of uh, suggestion or offer seriously? Well, it, you know, it depends on a whole lot of factors. Would I give it consideration? I would give it consideration, but there are a lot of factors that would be involved. In other words, what the position was, obviously. Uh, and number two, how much latitude I would have in order to implement the policies that I think 
uh, are important. So if I was simply a yes guy, no, that's not what I would do. But if uh, President uh, Biden were to say, Bernie, uh, I want you, you know, this is what you've been talking about, A, B, C, and D. I want to make you, put you in the, in the government to carry that out. And I'm going to, you know, let you do what you have to do. Well, that's another story. I would uh, give consideration. But the other thing is, it's not just Bernie Sanders. Uh, I do believe, you know, Bob, others have made this point. In America, we essentially have a two-party system. We have Democrats and Republicans. If you go to Europe, if you go to Canada, 50 miles away from here, you've got Canada, you've got four different parties. And coalition governments are not unusual. That's what happens. People disagree, uh, but they come together in, uh, you know, in a government, and one party, the dominant party, gets 10 uh, secretariats uh, or, or agencies, and the minority party gets four or five or whatever it may be. So, you know, it's not just me, but I would certainly like to see uh, a President Biden understand uh, that there are millions and millions of people in this country who want uh, progressive change, that there are great leaders out there, they're in Congress, they're not in Congress, who could play a great role within his administration. And I would hope he would give serious thought to appointing a number of those uh, to cabinet positions. Final question here, Senator Sanders. You saw the news earlier today. Speaker Pelosi endorsed Representative Kennedy in that contested Massachusetts Senate primary. You've stayed out of it so far. Where are you today? Are you with Senator Markey or Representative Kennedy? Well, Senator Markey is a, is a good friend, and I think he has been an excellent member of the Senate, and I especially appreciate the important work that he has done on climate change, uh, where he has been a leader in the Senate. But I am not going to get involved in every race that is out there. We kind of pick and choose, uh, and we have worked with a number of campaigns around the country. And as of now, we're having pretty good uh, luck in, in supporting progressive candidates who are winning. But that's a race that we're not uh, involved in. Why not? I'm just curious, the backstory uh, there. Uh, why not that? Because there are many, many races out there. And we don't, you know, we pick and choose uh, the races that we choose to get involved. We have limited resources and uh, we do the best that we can. Any, uh, just one final follow-up here, Senator. W what is your outlook for the Senate your, this next This is year? the last of your last of your last. It's you true. sound like a it's politician, true. Bob, but go for it. All right. No, I'm just curious about the Senate. I mean, it, it, we're talking so much about the presidential race, understandably. But put aside Massachusetts, we, we know where you stand there now. But where wh where where is the state of the Senate campaign at this moment in terms of the progressives got disappointed in Kentucky? Uh, but where are you seeing success and perhaps disappointment elsewhere? Well, look, I, I think where we're seeing success uh, is that, you know, based on recent polling and who, you know, who knows what, what tomorrow will bring, uh, it, it, the Democrats have a good chance uh, to uh, regain control of the Senate. I know that Chuck Schumer is working extraordinarily hard to make that happen, and I will do everything I can to make that happen. Uh, in the House, I think you're seeing uh, a whole bunch of really strong progressives are getting elected. And I got to tell you, at the local level, in state legislatures, at the district attorney level, uh, we're electing some strong progressives as well. So my hope is absolutely uh, that not only that Joe uh, becomes president, uh, but that the Democrats uh, gain control of the Senate and retain control of the House. And I'll do what I can to make that happen. 
Senator Sanders, always good to chat. Quite a moment for you after all these years. I wrote about it earlier this week. Five years I... after that, that, my, that announcement, even tourists, with all respect, didn't pay much attention to. What a journey. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's got to, I know I said final question, Senator, but five years on, it's got to, you have to be in somewhat of a reflective mood. I know you said to me, always forward earlier this week, but what a moment for you. Well, look, I am, it, it's not, you know, Bob, I'm not trying to be the world's most humble human being. I'm not. But nobody accomplishes anything significant by himself or herself. What we are trying to do and what differentiates us from many other folks out there is it's not just an election campaign. It is building a movement. So we are working not only to elect candidates, which we are with some success, we are working to build a grassroots movement of millions of working people who are prepared to stand up and fight for justice. And we are making some significant progress. So I just want to thank all of those people who are part of that movement. I'm so proud uh, to have been able to run uh, for president as part of that movement. Senator, we want to thank you for your time during this busy week. We really appreciate it here at The Washington Post. Thank you. Bob, thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.